Hello, Weekside Podcast listeners. We are back for another episode. I am Jenny Rentis here as always with Connor Orr, and we have completed week six in the NFL season. Connor, there's a lot of topics to get to. Uh, Some spicy results so far this season, some topsy-turviness in the standings, but then some teams holding strong. So got a a lot to parse through this week. A very uh, interesting week in the NFL, a strange week in the NFL, but weird in that, like, and, and we'll get into it uh, for sure, but like, I found myself even fixed to the screen, even to the end of Jets Dolphins, like, I couldn't get away. There was like something drawing me to every game, even if not a lot of the games were like close or dramatic in any way, shape, or form. Well, that's generous, Connor, to say that you watch Jets Dolphins to the bitter <laughs> end, but you're a true. Uh, artist committed to his craft of covering the NFL. So we can admire that. (laughs) A film grinder. That's right. Uh, And just a reminder, everybody, you can always reach out at our email address, weeksidepod at gmail.com or our voicemail line. We are anxious to hear from you at 929-445-7349. That would be a fun and different way to get your messages that we could play them on the show in a future episode. But Connor, why don't we start with the news topics of the week? What do we have for news topic number one? All right. Well, Jenny, let's start with the head-scratching Patriots, who after a surprising home loss to the Broncos are 2-3 and three and in third place in the AFC East. Is it time to start panicking? And is their 11-year playoff streak in jeopardy? Patriots have been an interesting team so far this year. They've had some schedule shuffling. They were full of momentum before that Monday trip to Kansas City where they went there and back in one day, played the game after Cam Newton tested positive, and seems like they're a little bit out of sort after that. You know, they're get, just getting Newton back this week uh, after he was placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. Uh, the team has had, you know, interrupted practice schedules, et cetera, et cetera. Not that that's as an excuse as the Titans of last week would say, but just seems like the Patriots are out of sorts. But my thing is we have so much of the season left to go, and this is really going to depend on the upcoming division matchups, really. I mean, they haven't played the Bills a single time. Uh, they have uh, the upcoming uh, November 1st and December 28th are two Bills matchups. Uh, they've played the Dolphins once. Um, they have two more games against the hapless Jets, so you can probably mark those down as two wins, even though I know, Connor, never mark anything down as a win in the NFL. But with these Jets, I think you probably can. So I'm not concerned about where the Patriots are at. I think we often see them having this kind of early adjustment period where we hear all the time that they take the first month of the season to figure things out. This perhaps even more so this year with the new quarterback and then the disruptions because of the COVID-19 situation. Yeah, and I, I, to be honest, I think the only reason everybody's sort of really freaking out is because the Bills have gotten off to such a good start. and But that lead is an in, insurmountable, and I think as the Bills showed last week, are not infallible. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a team that can obviously hit some speed bumps along the road. So I, I'm with you. I mean, and until the Patriots give us a large sample size with which to doubt them on, I, I just can't do it. You, you have the greatest head coach in NFL history. You have a former NFL MVP at quarterback things are going to work themselves out and 
I would venture to say that there's probably at least one or two very good wide receivers that are going to be available at the trade deadline. Um, I'm thinking of two in particular that might leave the Bengals, for example. And I I think that they can fix a lot of this stuff. I don't think this is anything that's going to linger. And Cam Newton's good enough to do this. I mean, I I don't think that there's any way, shape, or form where we see the Patriots like stumble to six and ten or seven and nine. That feels just totally alien to me. Yeah, and you know, maybe they can get some players back. Obviously, they've been missing Patriots center David Andrews after he had surgery on his thumb. Uh, That would be a big addition back to the offensive line. I mean, some of the issues we saw last season are cropping up again, sort of a dearth of talent at the skill positions. Edelman seems to have been banged up, which may have been influencing his somewhat up and down or a little bit inconsistent season. Uh, We're still waiting for Nikhil Harry to kind of take that next step forward. So some of the woes that we saw last year are still here with the Patriots, but they've been compounded by injuries and absences to players on the COVID-19 list. I think I, I will apologize to all Patriots fans in advance. I went Patriots heavy in my fantasy draft, and I, I promise you that their their lack of success is my fault. This is this is what I do um, when I uh, cut Brandon Ayuk. He scored two weeks in a row. When I benched Debo Samuel, he scored. This is what happens, and so to the Patriots, I will. I, I, this is my, my fault. And so now that I've cleared all the Patriots from my roster, uh, your team could begin to heal and, and achieve great success. Well, we've found the true problem. Now it's fixed. <laughs> this is great news. Let's let everybody in New England know, Connor. Bill Belichick, leave us a voicemail uh, at the Weekside Pod <laughs> right. and, and, we'll, and we'll work exactly. everything out. Exactly. 929-445-7349 <laughs> if you're listening, Bill. Exactly. We would love yes. to hear from you. Totally. All right, I'll move to news topic number two. Eagles head coach Doug Peterson said on Monday that I could see things continuing with the increased use of a Jalen Hurts package, which was a spark as Philly tried, but ultimately failed, to rally back against the Ravens. As the Eagles are searching for ways to get things back on track, will they be able to, Connor? Well, you and I both lived through... uh, um Right, we both lived through the Tebow era, right? Yeah, uh, I was there through training camp training with the camp. Jets, so I was present for the shirtless run through the rain, but ah. then moved to the Giants beat in time for week one, but was still watching with interest from not so far. So we've seen a little bit of this where you have a, a quarterback who you believe to be an ascending talent, and then you want to jam sort of, uh, you know, a, a different sort of offense. I'm not going to say gimmick because I don't think zone reader RPO or any of that stuff is gimmicky anymore. It's just what teams run. But I, I think that there's a right way and a wrong way to handle it. The problem is I think the only coach who had this stellar example of it being the right way has totally poisoned the well there. Um, And I'm talking about Sean Payton in New Orleans, where the Taysom Hill thing has just become so ridiculous and distracting that it clogs up the offense. It slows everything down. They're forcing the ball to like one of the not greatest athletes on their team. And it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But if you're Doug Peterson, you got to find that sweet spot because something has to give. And I, I saw 
Bill Barnwell had a good tweet earlier on Monday, the day that we're recording this, that, you know, he had the Eagles original depth chart at the beginning of the year and how many people are left. I think there's like three starters left on offense from the beginning of the season. Um, Jason Kelsey's the only starting offensive lineman remaining. Uh, you know, Tra- Fulgham is your is your mainstay at wide receiver. Zach Ertz is down. So you do need something, but it's just that you got to find the right balance of that, whatever it is. Yeah, and moving forward, things are looking even worse. It sounds like reportedly Miles Sanders and Zach Ertz will be out for this week's game. Uh, Ertz sounds like could be out for a few weeks. You already have Dallas Goddard out. So the options for players on offense are very thin. So the two-quarterback package is essentially putting your best players on the field. They just happened to play the same position. They did have success with the two quarterback package against the Ravens. Uh, I think with anything, the concern is the more you use it, does it become less effective? But I think the Eagles are just so depleted and they need to just get good players on the field. And this seems to be a way for them to do that. But What comes with it, obviously, is if you're playing the second quarterback, even if it's in a two-quarterback package-type role, that automatically raises questions about the number one quarterback and, you know, does that compound any confidence issues that might already be there? But I think it's smart for them to use more Hurts at this point simply because that seems to be their best option to just get something going on offense. And it's not like Wentz is immobile, right? It's not like totally analogous to New Orleans where you have Drew Brees who it would be a very large emergency if he ever left the pocket and Taysom Hill. It's like two of these guys that can do similar things that can probably help in similar ways. And I don't know. So, so I think, I think it would be fine. And if you're Doug Peterson, this is why, you know, people kind of view you as this mastermind is let's see what you can come up with. I mean, you've been, uh, you've been adjustable in the past. You've bent to the way that Carson Wentz likes to play offense and borrowed from his college schemes and it's time to do it again. And I don't think there's any doubt that they can figure something out because this di- this division is still up for the taking right now. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they had injuries all across the roster um, and they were able to overcome them. But the fact that we're saying that injuries are a reason for their struggles this year, I, I would say it's it's a very fair thing to say. It's not an excuse. It's literally they've been depleted like you know, at critical positions to even function as an offense. So, um, you know, I think this would be a potential way around. And listen, you drafted the guy. He obviously has talent. um, So use him in whatever role you can. And if you're Carson Wentz, you have to find the right way to embrace that, right? You know, and you have to uh, don't let it be the sort of the beginning of the end um, that it was for Mark Sanchez and, and the Jets. And I'm not saying that he handled it the wrong way, but I think that that was certainly sort of an ugly precursor to what was to come there. Um, I bring that up only to say that Mark Sanchez was on Mask Singer last week. So, apparently, to rave reviews, I thought he was great. I'm just going to say that I'm I'm going to come right out and say it. He he popped in with Faith by George Michael, and I mean. I, I am a regular watcher of the show. I covered Mark Sanchez for three years. Um, I had no idea it was him. I mean, I, have you ever heard him sing? 
I've never heard him sing. No, but you know, you're the one who suggested this topic for the week, and I'm wondering now if this was just like all an elaborate ruse to be able to talk about the masked singer. And I'm feeling a little bit like, wow, I was not let in on this. Feeling a little set up, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it's understandable. Um, you know, sometimes I, I just have a bad habit of arm wrestling conversations into places where I want them to go. You know, that's uh, that's that's me in a nutshell. You you liked it though. I sent you that. Did you watch it? Did you watch the performance? I think I missed that text. Sorry. Oh, man. You have to go back and watch it. It was good. All right. I'll have to look through. Yeah. Um, I either missed it by accident or willfully. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, news topic number three. The Browns were feeling froggy heading into last week's game against the Steelers, but yet again had their dreams dashed at Heinz Field. Do you see them as a playoff team, or did this week's game reinforce the gap between Cleveland and a bona fide contender? It is troubling, right, that your two losses have come to the two best teams in the division, and they were both by double-digit scores, right? And they weren't close. And I think it's troubling in another way that it was the league's best run defense against the league's best rushing offense, and the rushing offense was totally pummeled. And it's not like Chubb not having Chubb is an excuse. You have Kareem Hunt uh on the roster so you should be able to pick up right where he left off but so many situations where they were just stonewalled including that fourth and one where um you know i brought this up earlier today but the steelers had five guys uh, on the line the browns had seven blockers and they got they penetrated so quickly that the linebackers who were back off the line didn't even get a chance to get to the play i mean that's how quickly they destroyed it uh, a nice move by tj watt who uh we should remind everybody, uh, Jenny did an excellent cover piece on uh, for this month's issue. But yeah, the Steelers are just too good. And I think if you're the Browns, it injects a fair amount of doubt into the progress that we've seen, which is sort of comfortable for someone who grew up as a Browns fan, right? This is where you, this is where we know how to live, right? With a comfortable amount of doubt. Yeah. I think the answer to the question in the topic, are they still a playoff team or did this week's game reinforce the gap uh, between them and a real contender? I think the answer is potentially that both are true. I mean, they could still be a playoff team, especially with this expanded playoff field. And last week we had gone through their schedule, perhaps with a slightly more optimistic eye than we're feeling this week, but it wasn't that hard to get them to the 10 wins that generally you need to be in the playoffs. And again, this year there's an extra slot. So I still think that they could make the playoffs, but I feel like we're kind of keep coming back to this idea that there's a handful of teams that feel like real contenders this year. And the Browns feel outside of that at this point. And it's just, you know, it's it's weird things. Like Baker Mayfield it was hurt and uh, mm-hmm. did get hit quite a bit on Sunday by design. I mean, Pittsburgh is great at sending rushers on early downs and surprising opponents and, and finding ways to get into the backfield. But And so, so some of that is going to obviously affect the way that he's throwing the football and his willingness to throw the football. But even before then, we just haven't seen the leap there um we haven't seen it yet we still see some sort of borderline mercurial or strange behavior from odell beckham i think he took his shoes off on the sidelines and was just kind of hanging out yeah for a while um you know i mean maybe the shoes were uncomfortable i don't know um i don't want to judge sometimes you know a good pair of flip-flops around the house even in the winter is is <laughs> what the doctor ordered but uh it's it's starting to feel weird again. You know, like it, we had a good two weeks there uh, where everything felt like the, every, they were on top of the world. And now it's like, okay, this this makes a little bit more sense. 
By the way, Connor, you mentioned the Steelers' propensity to blitz on early downs, and I have to just bring up this wild stat. Now, it's from a couple weeks ago. When we were doing the Watt story, Keith Butler said on third down, they generally send four. And we had this quote in the story, which we kind of filed like right at the beginning of the season. So then, you know, by the gap between when you send the story to be printed in the magazine and it's going online, a couple more games have been played and there are all these headlines about how the Steelers are blitzing. So I'm thinking like, ah, we're probably going to have to change that. Maybe things are different. But no, Gary Grambling looks up the stat and it's wild. So this was, I think, through three games this season, but they had Pittsburgh blitzed 61% of the time on first and second down passing plays, but only 28.9% of the time on third down. Wow. Isn't that a wild split? So like, and again, I, you know, there are a couple of games that have been played since we last looked up that stat, but um, they generally don't blitz on third down and they generally do blitz on first and second passing plays, which I think is kind of crazy. That is crazy. Um, and, and inter- you know, like has interesting implications moving forward, right? Because if you have that um, MO as a play caller, there's so much you can do with that going mm-hmm. forward. There's so many ways that you can mix that up, especially a seasoned guy like that. Um, and I, Gary and I were talking on the Monday morning podcast um, that came out earlier today that I, I just, y- you want them to stay as healthy as possible because I think this has a chance to be that next defense that we talk about of the season, right? The 49ers were last year or whether it was the Bears a couple of years ago, like the defense that sort of defines that season. I think Pittsburgh is good enough to be that team. Yeah, and the point that Butler was making by only rushing four on your third downs, then you have seven guys on the back end that you can play around with a lot of coverages and that allows you to use a lot of disguises. And a player like Minka Fitzpatrick, who they got last season via trade, really enhanced their ability to play those disguises. And you saw the defense really kind of shift last season after they got Fitzpatrick. And this year seems to be... an. Uh, extension of that you know he always just kind of knows where the ball is he can move in different ways uh, and can really help them execute the disguises on the back end so uh, I thought that was an interesting point and I agree with you Connor I mean that's what they're trying to be they're trying to uphold that Steelers tradition of great defenses and they certainly have the pieces to do that this season Remind me to never bet against the Patriots, obviously, and to never mock a Steelers trade. I mean, you know, how mm-hmm. I was sitting there uh, very haughtily saying that they needed to pick Ben Roethlisberger's successor, and instead they spend it on Minka Fitzpatrick. He transforms the defense. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not getting ahead of myself by saying I bet Pittsburgh can get Ben Roethlisberger's successor off of somebody else's roster right now for a second or third round pick if, they're, uh, if, they're, if the season starts goes in a certain direction so they could end up looking very very smart in all this well i mean keith butler connor said that he even was like we gave up a first round pick (laughs) but then he got fitzpatrick and he was like oh this is why and now he says i would make that trade all over again because of all the things they've allowed that he has helped allow them to do so we were not alone in our reaction of being like that's a hefty price to give up for a player that hadn't kind of, you know, emerged yet in Miami, but certainly has in Pittsburgh. Yeah, for sure. I think you and I are just not used to covering defensive minded head coaches who, uh, 
hoard all the resources on their own and have it actually work out, I think is the problem. I think that's just what, you know, we're just not used to that. We're just conditioned to different. I mean, really covering the Jets, Connor, really just changes you in ways that um, are difficult to fix in the years ahead. So isn't that for sure? Yep. Uh, Topic number four. I think it's my turn. Six weeks into the season, three undefeated teams remain. Seattle, Tennessee, and Pittsburgh. Five more teams have just one loss. It's still early, but after some shakeups in the standings, let's discuss. Which team do you think has the spiciest taco seasoning, a.k.a. the best Whoa. chance of winning a Super Bowl? Look at you just taking over the topics and making them better than they ever were before. This is incredible. Very jealous. Um, I would say that if I'm going to pick a team that has the best chance of winning the Super Bowl out of this group. I picked the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl in the preseason. I would... That's right. Nice. Right, Shelby. Also, just as an aside, I picked the Pittsburgh Steelers to go 13-3 and in our preseason okay. records post. All right. And... You know, I I just want to let everybody know that commented under the post on Twitter, uh, all the teams, I've archived all the the quote tweets. Uh, I'm looking at you 49ers fans who are very mean to me, Uh, Steelers, uh, well, fans of other teams saying that the Steelers pick was bad. Uh, You know, so I I just have my eye on a lot of this stuff. So don't think I'm not not keeping track of all this. But um, I would say that I would go Seattle with the thought process that the offense is great and can continue to be great and the defense is very bad and can close the gap to mediocre by the end of the season. Whereas I don't know if the other teams have as much flexibility. I mean, I think the Steelers will certainly get better on offense. um, And the Titans, I think we've seen what we can get of the Titans. That's that's what it is. You could have also picked one of the one-loss teams, Connor. I didn't mean to restrict it by the way that I wrote that topic. But I am also with you. I still am going to have the Seahawks at the top of my power rankings. I feel like you have to have an offense that can score at will, and the Seahawks do, and I have enough confidence, as you said, that Pete Carroll will figure ways out to get better on defense through the course of the season. But... The Steelers are really heating up. Like, I think that they are developing and putting things together. I think we thought that it would take a couple weeks for the offense to kind of get into gear. Um, You know, Roethlisberger's coming back from a season-ending injury. They have some new pieces they're working in, like Claypool. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm increasingly high on the Steelers, but I'm also sticking with the Seahawks. So here are two, two things that I think that make me like the Steelers a little bit more. James Conner is, I think, uh, one of the highest backs, uh, every down backs this year in yards per carry, but um, is also second highest in facing eight-man boxes. So, you know, the running game is still a central focus. Teams are planning on it, and he's still doing well. I think once the passing game picks up, we'll see a lot more of him. And we we still haven't seen anything out of Juju Smith-Schuster yet. I mean, it's really been all Chase Claypool. He's caught, I think, four of Ben Roethlisberger's five longest throws. Um, And uh, Juju is catching the ball at a higher rate than he's ever caught it in his entire career. I think it's just the opportunities have not gotten there yet. So I think this offense is ready to explode when necessary which I think it just has not been really necessary at this point yet. 
Yeah, and one big loss to the Steelers' defense is Devin Bush. Mm -hmm. Um, So that will be something they'll really have to adjust to moving forward. But, uh, you know, I feel like all of the undefeated teams, I mean, obviously because they're undefeated, but they all have, like, impressed in perhaps surprising ways this season. The Titans did, um, but I will bring up, I think, some slight versions of some gripes here is that one is you got a pretty nice break there you know like you you have a break built in there um they're a little bit more well rested yes they didn't practice but then this idea that they're using this the fact that they skirted the rules and had some illegal practices some rallying cry for the league being against them is fairly absurd and yeah makes them like kind of hard to root for at this point yeah you know? no i i agree connor that is a strong p- counterpoint um as as good as they have looked and that was the wild game against the texans and they were really impressive in pulling that out and Obviously, the Vrabel 12 men intentional penalty has been going around and, you know, as an example of the fact that, you know, we always talk about Belichick disciples, you know, Belichick disciples, but this is an example of him really studying the rules and kind of mirroring his one of his mentors in that way. But I'm with you. It's difficult to hear these post-game quotes saying, like, people said we did things wrong and, you know... Uh, I guess the the league investigation is still ongoing, but I'm I agree, Connor. I think you know when you see people purposely take steps to go around the rules, it's hard to understand how that could be used as motivation that everyone's against them. All right, uh, what do we have for uh, topic number five? All right, this week in the New York Football Autumn of Despair, the Jets are the NFL's only winless team left and even worse than expected, prompting our own Connor Orr to write that Trevor Lawrence should pull in Eli Manning and refuse to play for the Jets if they do, in fact, hold the number one pick, which seems pretty likely at this point. Yeah, I got a lot of hate mail this morning uh, from that, but I think that the atmosphere at this point uh, is much more understandable to players um, who would want to make that business decision. And I don't blame Trevor. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't know what he wants to do or what he's going to do. And Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield both went to bad franchises and seem to be making the best of it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm him and, you know, the retort that everybody had today was, well, Joe Douglas is here and Joe Douglas is going to figure this out. How do we know that? You know, how does anybody know that? This team needs 17 new starters on offense and defense before I think they're able to compete. And how long does that take to acquire that much talent? And just cyclically, when you go back, I mean, you've covered this team. I've covered this team. There never seemed to be this cohesion, except for maybe one or two years with Mike Tannenbaum and Rex Ryan, where they were on the same page about what they needed um, on the roster. It's always been maybe a bright GM and a coach who hasn't been creative enough or um, the other way around, you know, a good coach and a GM who couldn't put any talent on the field, maybe like with Mike McHagan and Todd Bowles. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's always been mismatched. It's always been a disaster and if you're him looking at this Dolphins game on Sunday do you do you want to play for this franchise I don't know I I I would be concerned about it if I was him yeah the idea that the Jets for a long time have not had a GM and head coach on the same page speaks to organizational failures it speaks to something that doesn't change which is ownership I mean I guess Christopher Johnson has been at the helm as Woody served out his ambassadorship. Uh, that may be coming to an end. Uh, 
still to see. But the point being, there's organizational reasons that this the Jets have perpetually underachieved. And so even if you think Joe Douglas will do a good job with the team, you know, he has these roots with the Ravens and the Eagles, organizations that have had some success. Uh, but Bird teams. Excuse me? Oh, bird, bird teams. teams. Yes, yeah, two of bird course. Teams. We always love mentioning the bird teams. Um, but you don't know that it's going to be a good marriage with the head coach. You don't know that a top head coaching candidate is necessarily going to want to come to the Jets if Joe Douglas is still in charge. There's just like a lot of questions like moving forward that, you know, even if you make what looks like a good hire with the information that Lawrence has, how is, he's, how is he to know, you know, when the draft season comes, if this is an organization headed in a better direction? And as you laid out so well in your column, Connor, I mean, this is a highly anticipated draft pick. I mean, I've used this story way too many times on the podcast, but when we pulled you know, uh, NFL decision makers, a very successful NFL decision maker asked, you know, he said that Trevor Lawrence would be his pick for a player that could go one and done into the NFL uh, when we pulled uh, decision makers two years ago. So clearly this is a player that teams have been waiting for and waiting for. And, you know, if he has a request, a demand, then people are going to have to adjust to that. I'm just looking at the the current draft order, right? And you would say that any team in the top 10 is probably within striking distance of Trevor Lawrence if there's a trade to be made um, there. And if you're Trevor Lawrence, would you say, would I rather go to the Jets or would I go play for Ron Rivera, who's an established head coach. I mean, the Washington organization, I feel like, is far more toxic historically than the Jets, Mm -hmm. so that's a hard toss-up. The Giants, I doubt if they have the number one pick, they're going to make that kind of noise to go up and get um, Trevor Lawrence since they have Daniel Jones, but would I rather play for the Falcons, who are going to have a brand new, uh, theoretically aligned coach and GM? Um, The Vikings might be up there. Would I rather go play for Mike Zimmer? Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of teams that if I, they were just kind of hanging out and sitting there, I might be like, you know what, why don't we, uh, why don't we shorten the list a little bit? Cause I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it would be really difficult for me as a quarterback with an extremely bright future to just kind of hand it over to this franchise who, I mean, historically when we've covered the team, have has not been able to develop a quarterback we've never seen them develop a quarterback we're watching them live be unable to develop a quarterback with a lot of talent so it's hard for him to be able to have any confidence in that yeah and it's clearly an unusual thing for a top pick to do the mannings did it because of the sway that the manning family has but lawrence is a player who could do it because of one how well thought of he is around the league but also too you know this is an era when players are recognizing their power and exercising it more than ever before in a lot of different ways certainly we saw Lawrence in the center of this this past summer so uh, you know it's certainly not beyond the bounds of reason to think that's something he could consider and I think when you're considering that you think okay is this an organization that really has a proven track record of always doing the wrong things and always making mistakes. And I think the Jets would fall into that category. And Jenny, not to bring it back to 
oh, really boy. the central theme of the day, which is Mark Sanchez and the Masked Singer. But you know, I <laughs> yeah, he's only thirty three years old. Like he's you know. If if you're like he should still be the quarterback wow. of the Jets on wow. like a you know what I mean like if you if you look across the mm-hmm. league at all the teams that have you know poured all these investments into all these guys like Matt Stafford is still with the Lions like all these other guys are still with their teams Mark Sanchez is 33 years old and he's on the Mask Singer which again he's very good and I think that you know. Uh, maybe this was existed all along this ability to sing and you know i just kind of want to talk about this a little bit more but uh he should still be the quarterback of the jets you know he had talent you and i covered this team he led them to big wins he made big throws and by the time basically one and a half contracts were over he was in philadelphia and i think if from trevor lawrence that's Yes, not everybody's there. The people are gone, but that's kind of what I'm looking at and saying, okay, happened to him, happened to Sam Darnold, happened to Geno Smith. It's I, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't want to go there. I don't. I, that's just me. But yeah, when you put it in those terms, wow. I mean, that is wild. He should be in the prime of his career if things had gone the way that they wanted them to go. Yeah. But again, I it it worked out. He's great on the mask singer. I would, <laughs> I would urge you all to to take a listen. Uh, and and you know what else? And this is the last n- nugget I'm going to drop on this. He also did ventriloquism while he was singing. It's pretty impressive. Okay, wow. So he, his character was the baby alien, and uh, you know, so he had to puppeteer a little baby alien sticking out of a space helmet while he was singing and dancing in a 40-pound costume. I'm just saying this, is, you know. So maybe impressive. we need to rewrite the heading to this section. It doesn't <laughs> sound like it's a New York football autumn of despair if Mark Sanchez is thriving on The Masked Singer. I'm just, well, he, he, he's not thriving because he got kicked off. But What? Uh, this is like useful information that you're leaving out. <laughs> but you still think he was a resounding success. Yeah, so I mean, the I, fact that he I was would kicked ar- off. Yeah, I would argue, and if you ask um, my wife, who's the true mask singer expert, she would say that Sanchez did not deserve to go home uh, on that episode. Like, okay. so you get you get voted off, and then once you get voted off, your identity is revealed. Uh, so that was sort of the deal there. Ah, I see. Okay, it's just so another you... really bad show that I'm going to try to get you to watch. That's I all. see. So the fact that you knew his identity meant that he was voted off. So I should have been able to piece that together. Sorry for my lack of knowledge <laughs> in that area, Connor. It's not the only place where I'm lacking in knowledge. So That's not true. Um, all right. What do we have for this week's Oracle? Okay, before I get to my prediction, I just want to wish a very happy birthday to Nolan. Nolan is the son of uh, MVP listener Anthony. So, Anthony, uh, please wish Nolan a happy birthday from Jenny and I and everybody at the Weekside Podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, So, I would say that my uh, big prediction here is that the Pittsburgh Steelers coming up have the meatiest portion of their schedule. They have the undefeated Titans and then the uh, Baltimore Ravens who are in second place, obviously, in the AFC North, coming down the pike here, both on the road. Um, and I, I don't know. This is a stretch of games that you have to 
be fired up about. If you like the NFL, as cynical as I am, I'm still allowing myself to get pretty excited about this. And my big prediction here is that Pittsburgh emerges from this whole thing 7-0. and I think they beat the Titans in Nashville. Wow. I think they beat the Ravens in Baltimore. And uh, they've, uh, they're going to come back and they're just going to put a stranglehold on the power rankings. They're not going to give anybody any choice coming up here. That is a bold prediction, Connor, but I'm inclined to agree with you. I like where you're headed. I'm also high on the Steelers right now, so see where it takes us. You know, it makes me feel a lot better. Um, I was discussing this with editor Mitch the other day, and um, in, due to our new picks format, which you're crushing, by the way, and you should oh, give yourself... Oh, I had yourself... a bad week. Don't Did jinx you? it. Oh, yeah. Bad week. Okay. But like, I, I feel like with the percentages and the averages, you're more math forward than I am. But I, I, I think you probably held a lead, I would guess. I'm thinking. Not after this week, most likely, <laughs> but we'll see. But in the, old, in the old prediction format, there used to be an Excel spreadsheet and we could watch each other fill the picks in. And so a lot of times I just said, hey, give me the Vrentis. Uh, that, that's what I want. I want Jenny's picks because Jenny is typically right about almost everything. And but, so when, um, when I saw the picks come out this week, now we use a different format where we pick it on a separate portal and then we just see you know, who everybody picks at the end of the week when um, our editor, Mitch, puts out the post. And so I get very nervous when you pick a different game than me because I'm like, what did I miss? You know, Something going on here. So the fact that you're with me on the Steelers thing makes me feel... Very good. I, I like that. I am with you, Connor. I think it'll be a good stretch. I like that Oracle. That's a good one. Nice. All right. But now time for the most important portion of the show. Where where are we going with the Vrentis consensus this week? Consensus. All right. I feel like we owe our listeners a little bit of a mea culpa on Derrick Henry. You and I both thought the Titans would take a step back this year in large part because we just thought that the heavy workload that Henry has taken would catch up with him. He had 303 carries last season, and that was after an Alabama career where he peaked at 395 carries and a high school career where one season he had 462 carries, Connor. So I just thought that this would at some point catch up to him. We discussed this in the offseason. I didn't pick them to win the division, and I was really wrong on this. Um, And then we have seen this season, he's been fantastic already. And that 94-yard touchdown run where he outran a safety, I mean, he doesn't look like a 240-pound back. Uh, He looks... Like, he runs with speed, but he also runs over people. Um, He's just this... He hasn't taken any kind of step back. Uh, This workhorse that really can change the game in a single play. And the four-year, $50 million contract he signed in the offseason, again, you know, there's skepticism around running back contracts. We have shared in that skepticism. But he's looked worth every penny of that so far and uh so the consensus is we were wrong on derrick henry connor so wrong and it's he's just i i would say if you're a player if you're running back in the league find out who his trainer is and hire that person i mean just the way that he's able to get his body ready to do the things that he does every week it's just phenomenal he he really is an incredible person and uh yeah, that mea culpa extends to 
every single one of my family members who asked about fantasy football advice, my neighbor who we shared a team with, and Derek Henry was up, and I said, no chance. Uh, let's take... <laughs> Oh, well, who to be taken? Somebody who's not playing right now. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a good one. That that was a much needed uh that was much needed to address. Wow. I mean, look at his stats in 5 games this year. 123 rushes, 588 yards for a 4.8 yards per carry average oh. and he's averaging 117.6 yards per game. So he is a Oof. big reason the Titans are undefeated right now. Yikes. That is uh, consensus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it's uh, it's an easy consensus when you're just correcting something that you were wrong about earlier in the year. Well, this is you know this the pod is not infallible. Uh, <laughs> as much as I would trust Jenny as an authority on all things, I wouldn't change course on that just based off of that. And I think our willingness to address it only strengthens our ties with everyone listening. So. I like it, Connor. I like it. <laughs> well, there was this was a good show. It was really a busy week of football. A lot to discuss and break down. As always, Connor, enjoy being here with you to do it every every Monday for our Tuesday show. For sure, it's always good to you know. I like that uh, you and I have been zooming at least once a week now for eight months. Right. That's and true. So, yeah. And so we both, um, I think what I like about it is we've both kind of changed. I, I've flipped, I've come into the dining room. Um, you know, I've come out of the office. Sometimes I get one view from your Zoom and then I get another with uh, some other uh, pictures behind it. So it's it's always good. You know, it's uh, every every week is it, is an adventure. It's something new, you know. Yeah, today is the New York scapes. Other days it's the... Matisse uh, paper cutout print, so you know, and the fake orchid that looks real. So lots of uh, lots of options here in the Brentis household. Orchid, orchid, nice. <laughs> Always have to end on an or pun. And remember, you everybody, you can reach out at weeksidepod at gmail .com or our voicemail line nine two nine four four five seven three four nine. Bill will be looking for your message. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Ventus, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Moravik is the emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts. 